the children are excited. Maybe we need to get as excited about being in church as they are about going to children's church. I thought I'd get a good amen out of that. All right. My sister is uh, in a nursing home out in Texas. She broke her leg, many of you remember, about a month ago. And uh, the way it happened, she's had to end up in rehab, and she's in a nursing home out there. And uh, so she's watching this morning. We ain't got it ready, have we? Uh, anyway, I was going to have everybody to holler, Hi, Judy. So when it gets that done and ready, we're going to do that. In the meantime, open your Bible this morning to Proverbs chapter 30. Uh, we're continuing our series on uh, the power of little things. We started last week. We talked about how important little things are. And we're going to continue this on today and, and probably next Sunday because uh, today is a, is a build-you-up kind of time. And next Sunday is a help us all kind of time, okay? So I prepare you in advance. If you're not here next Sunday, then I'll know why. That you stayed out because pastor is going to have to preach one of those hard messages again. So if you don't, if you don't want that label, then you need to be in church next Sunday, okay? I remember the first time I preached a message from uh, this passage of Scripture. I don't know if you remember it or not, Loretta. You'll remember the situation. The first time I preached a message from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 through 28, was in November of 1970. We lived at Hernando, Mississippi, at the first little church we pastored. We lived in a, in a tremendously great one-room house. Not a one-bedroom house, but a one-room house. And... Uh, you come in the door, there was the bed, over here was the couch and chair, over in that corner was the kitchen, and over in that corner was a little petitioned-off place that was for the restroom, bathroom. Had a shower, and, and I mean, that's, that's where we lived. We lived there for about nearly a year, I guess, didn't we? Six, eight months, anyway. Long, seemed like forever we lived in that house. That ain't got nothing to do with this. I'm just setting the scene for you. But uh, I was going to that weekend before Thanksgiving, I was going to preach a youth revival, a weekend youth revival, at a church at Cumberland, Mississippi, which was just down in the Starkville area. And uh, so I had an abscessed tooth to come on. And I went to the dentist, and he gave me uh, some samples of an antibiotic, and that reacted on me, and it spread the infection over my whole mouth. I mean, I was swelled, not just from the abscessed tooth, but I was swelled. It hurt to breathe. And I had that, had to preach that meeting that weekend with that going on. And uh, I preached this message. I preached from this passage of Scripture, not this message. I wish I had those notes from that time, but see, back in those days, uh, I was under the assumption that pastors didn't use notes or preachers didn't use notes. If they did, then they wasn't really called. They had to have notes. They wasn't called to preach. God just give it to them when they get in the pulpit. And most of those preachers that didn't use notes didn't study either. So, uh, <laughs> well, that's the truth. 
I've heard so many of them say, man, I just, whenever, whenever I get to church, God gives me what to preach. I don't want to go on that assumption. I learned a long time ago. Anyway, I preached that message that weekend with that, uh, that weekend before Thanksgiving with that don't going on in me. And buddy, it was a tough time. I don't remember what I preached about, except I preached about four things that are small, but yet they're wise. And like I said, I wish I had the notes. And I probably preached on this passage of Scripture two or three times over the last 47 years. I don't know. Uh, I didn't look back in my recent notes I've kept over the past several years to see because I was trusting God to give us something new. But we talked about the power of little things. And that hadn't got nothing to do, I know, with this message, but I just wanted to give you something to fill up the time with. Did you get that going? Everybody, if you would, say, Hey, Judy. All right, thank you. Let's read in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. And by the way, I had to be that way with Thanksgiving dinner, and I couldn't really eat and enjoy it. Uh, There again, the ants are people not strong, yet they prepared their food in the summer. The rock badgers are conies, whichever way you want to say it, and one, one... Translation even called them rabbits, okay? Or feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags or in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands and is in king's palaces. Now, some translations or many translations there on that last verse, they say lizards instead of spiders. But I don't know anybody that uh, has a, you know, a desire to have either one in their home. Now, I know there's people that's got pet tarantulas, and to me, that don't even go together. You know, a pet tarantula. I can't can't phantom that. That just don't fit good with me. But we'll talk about this in just a few minutes. See, so many times in life we can learn great lessons from small things if we'll just look at them. And, and so what I want to talk about, the power of little things today, are the messages and the, the knowledge that we can receive from these things. King Agar, uh, he wrote these, and through this uh, 30, Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 30, he uses numbers a lot of times. He talks about two daughters that a lich, lynch has, or has, and it's called Give, Give. One daughter's name, Give. What's your sister's name, Give? So, in other words, give me, give me is what there is. He talks about uh, three things, and then he says four. Three things, and then he says four. Three things, and then four. And he, and he talks about that. Proverbs 30 is good reading. If you just ever stop one day and read it, it would be good for you. But he talks about four things here now, even though they're small, and they're things that we wouldn't normally think that you could draw any kind of lesson from, especially ants. Have you ever saw wonderful ants? I haven't. All the ants that I've ever seen are terrible. They are aggravating. But we look at it and we see that there's a lesson that we can learn from it. And it says this, that the ants, even though they are little on the earth, yet they work to prepare their meat in the summer. In other words, they, they store up for the winter, and they do that in the summertime, in the warmer weather. And 
uh, they work hard. They, they do it. Uh, I, I thought about this. Ants go to picnics. They do. And while you're sitting there enjoying your soda and your hamburger, ants are busy carrying off your sugar and cookie crumbs. And, and if you don't watch it, they'll get you potato chips and carry them too. All of them carry things that most times weigh more than they do. But they work hard at doing what they do. And, and I'm going to tell you something about them too. When they get a hold of you, they sting hard too, don't they? I mean, they say that that fire ain't, that what it does, the reason it hurts so bad is that they bite you so they can get a harder thrust with their tail to sting you. So, uh, I don't like them. But look at, the, look at what he's telling us about them. They prepare for the tough times ahead when things are going pretty good. Now, get a hold of that. They prepare for the winter in the summer. They don't wait until it's winter time to start trying to have something to do. They don't wait until it's winter time to try to have something to eat. They don't wait until things get bad to try to figure out what to do because they're working on it when things are good. See, I told you, Pat, saw my notes. When things are going good, we don't think about it. And here, here's one problem that we have as people that ants don't have. If things are going pretty good, we don't worry about it. I mean, you know, we, we're just doing pretty good. See, there's three kinds of people that I, that I have come to understand. There's those kind of people that always live in the past. I, I find myself guilty of that from time to time because there's a lot of situations come up, and I'll talk about my granddaddy, what he did, and my daddy, what he said, you know, or my mama, my grandma. And, and you know, we all do that. We talk about when we were growing up. It's sort of like people that, go on a vacation, and when they get back, they want to show you all the pictures of their vacation. And that's fine, but it seemed like they just went on a vacation to get pictures. You know what? Now, and see, that's not as bad as it used to be back in the days when there were slides, the slide projector, and some of you may not understand what I'm talking about there. The slide, or especially the little reel-to-reel or the Polaroid land camera. Man, they just want to pull out and show you the whole thing, you know. Now then, instead of doing that, look at this picture on my phone. I was doing that this morning. I was showing off my tomato crop. Oh, you ought to see my tomatoes, man. This tall, pretty green, big round green tomatoes on them. And I'm just praying that it don't frost for another little while so I can get some ripe tomatoes off of those things. Then there's people that live in the presence. It's just today. Just for today, right now, this moment. They live life for right now. They, they haven't learned anything from the past. And see, we've all got a past, but we need to learn from that past, right? Learn the good things. We need to learn from the bad things that have gone on in the past. And, and uh, we've got a future, but I'll deal with that in a minute. But so many people are living just for right now. But like going to the past again, okay? Like my mama used to say, they live from hand to mouth. And that's it. So many people live, and all their goal is for Friday to come, or the 15th, or the 1st. And that's their goal. That's, just, that's, that's where they're planting on is their paycheck. And, and there's nothing beyond that. And, you know, and so we just live for just right now. And, and I, I promise you that right now is the only time that we can prepare for tomorrow. We can't prepare for tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. But then there's people that they haven't learned from their past. 
They're ignoring the present, and all they're doing is looking into the future, and it's sort of like somewhere over the rainbow from Wizard of Oz. You know, that's, that's what they're looking at. Someday, one of these days when I grow up, one of these days when I get married, one of these days when I get wealthy, when, when, I, do, when I get to this point in life, then, then this, all of this kind of thing is going to be altogether different. That would be just like somebody saying, well, man, if I could win that lottery, I'd start giving to the Lord. <laughs> Loretta and I were talking about that. You know, that thing's up now to $1.6 billion. And the payout of that, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is $675 million. A person can take that and never have to pay any taxes on it. You know, they could take that and put it in the bank and draw $30 million a year off of that. I mean, it just warps your head, you know. And we were talking about it, and I said, you know, I don't know if anybody in our church has bought a lottery ticket or not. I said, but uh, you know a tithe off of that would be $67 million? <laughs> I mean, think about it. I'm not telling anybody to go buy a lottery ticket. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not, that's not it. But if you do, remember, if you win tithe, okay, tithe. <laughs> that's okay sometimes we feel like we're the one in, in the 300 million like it is with the things that happens to us right but let's get back to reality now okay but you don't mention tithing and it, it's an important thing and I've gone I've gone several Sundays now not really mentioned tithing and giving in a, in a message I've done pretty good I've kept up with it but so I'm going to I'm going to say this about tithing. See, tithing does a lot of things for us. Tithing brings us in line with being obedient to the Word of God. That's the most important part of tithing right there. When, a part, when we tithe, then all we're doing is being obedient to God. Because that's what He said to do. All through the Bible we find that. But not only do we tithe, but we're also making preparation for God to help us out and to be with us in future things that come. Because He said to bring all the tithe in the storehouse, prove me herewith, saith the Lord, that there may be meat on my table, and see if I will not, will not open the windows of heaven. And where He says we'll, we'll do it means something from that point on, which is we're doing something now to prepare for the future. You say, well, look, I got, I got a good job and I got make good money and I, I work all overtime I want and blah, blah, and on down the line and all that kind of stuff. But what's going to happen if tomorrow you end up with a broke leg and you can't go to work for three months? What are we going to do then? So what I'm saying is, you know, and I believe in having savings accounts. I think it's fine for people to have savings accounts. But more important than that is taking the opportunity today to prepare a heavenly savings account. And you do that by your tithes and your offerings. God does not take that lightly. God said, you do this, and this is what I'll do. I'll take care of you, and I'll bless you, and I'll move on that in your life. So uh, the thing that we need to realize is that when we, when we come to this and we all go into winter seasons, some of you are in a winter season right now for, for, for different reasons. And you say, what do you mean? Well, we're in a time right now when it seems like that we're in a we're in a need. That 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 winter time for you may be sickness and sickness in you or sickness in your family. 
But there's, a, there's that winter time, there's that problem and difficulty. It could be relationships in your family. And it could be uh, your job, finances, or, or something along that line. That, and there's so many things that we could put in that. Maybe it's difficulty with your children. Or maybe it's difficulty with your brother and your sister. Somebody at work, somebody at school. There's, but there's difficulties come in life. And we need to be prepared for those things before, that, before it comes up. And what we've got to prepare ourselves on is the Word of God. We need to take the Word of God in us. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now that word hidden there in the Hebrew language means to hoard up. You know, to make a run for it, get the you know before the last one gets off of the shelf, they could because they could come out tomorrow and say, "Oh, we're fixing to have a shortage of sugar in America," and you know we don't see any more coming. You know what's going to happen? People are going to flock to the stores to get all the sugar that they can. The Bible talks about a time in our life when there's a shortage or a famine of the Word of God. And we need, to begin, we need to hoard up all the Word of God that we can now because, folks, the Word of God is going to be our help and our strength in time to come. That's what you and I can stand on is the Word. And so the psalmist says, Lord, I'm going to hoard your Word up in my heart. I'm going to get it. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to walk in it. And I'm going to be like, I, like the psalmist wrote in Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3, where he said, Excuse me, blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor setteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This word, his delight is in the word of God. And in his word does he meditate day and night. Now you get a hold of that? How am I going to get the word in me? I'm going to get it in there by reading the word of God, by studying the word of God, and I'm going to do it all the time. Folks, just like the ant. The ant is constantly working. If it's daylight and warm, he's working and working and working. They don't stop. They just they meet each other going back. And studying the Word of God is not just some kind of a little old flippant, relaxing kind of something that we can do and everything will just be all right kind of a situation. But studying the Word of God takes effort. It takes determination. And it takes committing to do that regardless of what may be going on otherwise is to be in the Word of God. The Word of God is that important to us. How am I going to know what to believe God for if I don't have the Word of God in me? You know, you can talk to people that are in need and say, well, well what do you believe in God for? Well, I'm just believing God for to meet my need. Well, that's fine. How many needs you have? Do you know that the Word of God will meet every need that you have? You can find help and comfort and consolation for every circumstance that would come in your life through and in the Word of God. So we need the Word of God in us so that we can have it all the time and it be there. Uh, you'll take into your winter time what you store up in the summertime. Now, that's an old thing that's been around for years. Uh, I'd say to Mama, Mama, why are you plant, uh, canning so many green beans? She'd say, so we'll have them to eat this winter. And that's, that's our goal. I want it to eat this winter. I want to have something for the winter time. Whenever 
the, it gets down cold that night. I want to have something already stored up to where that if it frosts and bites it down, I'll have something to eat anyway. And and in the natural sense, we have the same kind of thing going on. So so we want to we want to been, begin to prepare it and, and to walk in it. So the ant is little on the earth, but boy, are they a worker. And they're committed to their work. Now get a hold of that. They're committed to their work. You watch a line of ants sometimes. You watch them as they go back and forth. There's not one sitting off over there on the side and just sort of leaning back and saying, okay, y'all just go ahead. No, they're all working. They're committed to it. And they work. We need to learn something from it. And then he said, the next thing he talks about is the rock badger, the coney, or the rabbit. And you know, a lot of folks don't have pet rock badgers at their house. So here again is another another animal that you and I wouldn't think much of. These animals are just a little bit larger than a prairie dog. And uh, they are grayish in color, and they can lay out on the rocks and virtually undetected until they move because they can conform to the size of that rock so well. And one thing about them is this. They know that as long as they stay around those rocks, or craigs as it says here, they know as long as they stay around those rocks with the holes that that nothing can get them. So I can say it to you this way. See, the ant knows what time it is. I skipped a verse of Scripture in that, didn't I? That's okay. If I have time left, I'll go back and get it at the end, okay? <laughs> the the ant knows what time it is. He knows that he needs to be working. And this rock badger knows where its security is. Now you think about that. He he lives in the rocks and he knows that he don't need to walk off out here in the flatland too far away from those rocks because just as sure as he does, there's gonna be a, a vulture, the eagle, a a small wolf or coyote or lion or something that's going to attack him before he can get back to those rocks. And you say, well, if he don't ever venture out, how does he get anything to eat? Well, he gets things that comes around the rocks that are smaller than him. But that's not his security. His security is knowing that if he sees the shadow of that eagle flying over him, that he's only got just an instant to get in that hole, and then that eagle's going to have to tear a mountain down to get to it. He knows where his security is. And this is something that you and I need to think about also. Where's our security? Well, if we're going to liken the ant to uh, storing up food to that being the Word of God, then here we need to come back and realize that our security is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know why that rock badger knows where his security is? He's in a relationship with those rocks. He's on them. He's around them. He's in them. They protect Him. They keep Him. And folks, you and I have got to understand that if we're going to continue to succeed in this life, if we're going to walk, if we're going to be everything we need to be, then we have got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I talk about that, I'm not just talking about knowing who Jesus is. Knowing that He's some historical figure and that before long we're going to celebrate Christmas of this historical figure that was born and it celebrated His birthday. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It, there's one thing to know about God, 
But it's yet altogether a different thing to know God. And this is where it's so important. Me having a personal relationship with God Almighty. Me having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that, that came to this earth and died on the cross for my sins. In John chapter 17, verse 3, as Jesus was praying that prayer right before they came and took Him and put Him to death. In verse 3, He said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Now that word know there, in the Greek language, is the word gnosko, which, and I'm not trying to be impressive with knowing how to speak Greek. I can read a book and learn how to pronounce words, okay? You can do that too. But it means to have an intimate relationship with. An intimate knowledge of. In other words, it's a, it's a relationship that you spend some time in that relationship by being in the Word, so we can't get around that, obeying the Word, praying, and worship. See, worship is important, not just in church, but worship is important every day of our life. That we should be a worshiping kind of people and go in a worshiping, praising kind of attitude all the time. And as I do that, as I study His Word, as I walk in obedience to His Word, then my relationship with Him grows even more. It's just like if you're a boss at work and you've got somebody that works for you, that is just, you know, they, they do everything you say, and they, you know, they even do the extra things that you say, then you tend to have a favorable relationship more with that one than one that you having to stay on all the time. Isn't that the truth? Any of y'all ever been a boss at work? You're, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> You're just trying to figure out who was that first one I mentioned, right? <laughs> okay, well, that's good. But but you see what I'm saying? When we put ourselves in relationship and walk in that relationship with God, we see the favor of God, we recognize the favor of God more than if we're walking in a rebellious kind of way, one that God's always having to nudge and say, come on now, you need to get up. Come on now, and the Holy Spirit said, come on, open your Bible, and you need to read the Bible. And, and the Holy Spirit said, now you need to pray. You, you know, and you need to work. And if, when we're that way, we do not understand the favor and blessings of God like someone that's quick to go to the Word of God, that's quick to pray, that's quick to worship God and have that relationship with Him. See, here's one thing about this rock badger that we need to understand. He knows where his weakness is. He knows what his weakness is. His weakness is trusting in himself. Because if he gets off away from there, he's trusting himself. And folks, it don't make no difference how strong this thing is, how fast it is. He could have 15 gym memberships. But if he gets too far away from those rocks, he's weakened himself, and he's open prey to the predators. But he also knows what his strength is. His strength is the rock. The rock. Psalms 118, I mean Psalms 18, verses 1 through 3. I want you to see this. He said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. 
See, David knew who his rock was. He knew that his rock was God Almighty. Our rock today is Jesus Christ. Psalms 61. I hadn't got this one down. Psalm 61 says, Lord, I will praise you from the ends of the earth. And then he goes on to say, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to that rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from my enemies. So we, the badger knows that he only has strength as long as he's at the rock. You and I only have strength as long as we're with our rock and having that knowledge of him and what he has and what he can do who He is, and knowing this in our life, and appropriating this in our life. See, folks, it's not just enough to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's, it's more important to say, I know Jesus. I know Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, and I take Him and I walk with Him. Then He said, the locusts have no king, yet all advance in ranks. They don't have a king. They don't have a leader They don't have a pastor saying, okay, it's time for church. They don't have that. They don't have a general, an admiral. They don't have a CEO. They don't even have a draft board that calls them up for service. Now, you take, if you go home today and there's a locust or grasshopper in your house, then that thing is not very threatening at all, is it? Take a fly swatter, swat it or catch it and throw it out and be done with it. But you let these things get together in swarms, then folks, they can cause destruction. They go about. When we think of a swarm of locusts, we think of plagues. Back in the in the year 2000, there was locusts that came through the Midwest and virtually devastated all the crops there that year. So, But they did it as, as a group together, as a swarm together. They didn't do it as individuals. And the lesson that we learn from that is this. We can't do this on our own. Not only do I need God, not only do I need Jesus in my life. See, my faith is personal, but it's not for me alone. I need other people in my life. I need people around me. I need people with me. I need people encouraging me. I need people helping me. And then I need to be a part of a group that's helping and encouraging and working and and, and ministering to other people. See, there's some things that I can do. But boy, there's a lot of things that we can do together as a group, you see. I might bite one bite out of a leaf and fly on if I'm a locust, okay? (laughs) But you take all of us together we can we can make a yard look bare. I mean, we can we can devastate the leaves on the trees before they turn brown or whatever color they're going to turn here in a few days. We can devastate a crop, and you and I together can stand better against the onslaught of the enemy in this area than one person can by themselves. Well, you say, well, I thought you were talking about little things. I am, but I'm talking about how little things all together. Make up one big thing to where that we're able to move and go forward and conquer and overcome and be what we're supposed to be. See, they have no king, yet they get organized. And by instinct, they know that they have to be in community with others. They know that they need to be in a group. And when that happens, they topple kingdoms. You look at what they did and devastated Egypt in the plagues when Moses was there. And then you think about uh, how that Jesus said 
that upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you studied that out in the original language, it would say that you will chase the enemy back to the gates of hell. They'll not prevail. Why? Because we are on the offensive, folks, not the defensive. And we need to realize that and go with that. See, we must have community. We must have a group. That's one reason I believe church is so important. But I want you to look at this Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. In Ephesians 4, 16, it talks about from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. The whole body put together. Every joint, every part, every person, every individual in a church has something to give, has something to offer, and, and so that, that it can come together according to the effectual working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The body, talking about the body of Christ, but it's also talking about the body of Victory Fellowship. It's important, folks, that we realize this is not about Pastor Carroll. This is not my church. I refuse to call it my church. I'm talking to other pastors a lot of times, and they'll say, well, at my church we do that, at my church we do that, my church we do that. And every time, whenever I'm going to say something, I'll say, at our church, at our church. Because this is just as much your church as it is my church, And when it comes right down to it, it's not mine or yours, it's His church, right? And so we don't own it, but we need each other. You know what? What we're getting here together as a group this morning, you can never get at home sitting and watching a TV preacher. And there's nothing wrong with watching TV preachers, okay? If there was, we wouldn't have this Facebook page. There's nothing wrong with that. But it does not substitute. It does not take the place of coming together with other people and being in group and being in community together. Because uh, what the, the saying that, that I learned back in the 80s was that the sum of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. In other words, what we can do together is more than what all of us can do individually. So we need to walk in that and understand that we all have a part in this. And church is important. I believe it's important for us to come together on Sundays and Wednesdays and any other time. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm getting in my pastoral mode now. I talked about tithing. Now I'm going to talk about church attendance. That's pastoral mode. Evangelists don't talk about stuff like that. I guess. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, he who promised is faithful. Now listen to verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So now then, we talked about, it's talking about how that I hold my confession of faith, my confession of hope. I do that. But the reason I do that is so that I can encourage you. It literally means to incite, like inciting a riot. To incite, to encourage one another. In other words, when we come together as a group, then, then I need to be saying to Bill, Bill, I want you to know, buddy, I'm praying for you to be everything that you can be. Encouraging. Encouraging. Encouraging Mary. And man, hey, it's good to see you today, man. I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know I'm with you, brother. I'm standing with you and everything that you believe in God for. Encourage one another. Incite. And, and help people realize, hey, we're in this together and we can do it. And then listen at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together 
as the manner of some is. You know who the manner of some is he's talking about here? Folks that don't go to church. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The importance of being in church, folks, is that we come together, that we have this community, and that we're able to enjoy the things and the blessings of Almighty God. Y'all excuse me a minute. I'm getting dry. You think, well, what? Take more than water, but anyway. <laughs> water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So I just drank some Holy Spirit within me. I think I'll take another drink. All right. One last thing we want to talk about is a spider. Everybody loves spiders. Isn't that right, Amanda? <laughs> Did y'all see that on Facebook where Becky sent this thing to Amanda and had spiders all over the walls? You know, and Becky said, this is for you, Amanda. <laughs> Amanda didn't appreciate that. For, so for those of you that don't like spiders, then we'll use the other translation of this that says lizards, okay? And probably anybody that don't like spiders don't care for lizards either. But, I want, let's talk, we're going to deal with a spider first, okay? Let's look at it from a spider standpoint. They take hold with their hand. Now, what does that show? Well, let's read the whole verse. They take hold with their hands, and, and it is in king's palaces. To me, this is talking about heaven, God's home, God's abode, Jesus' place. All right? His pad that he went to build up in heaven where he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll come and receive you unto myself. This is what it's talking about to me here. When it talks about they take hold with their hands, that shows determination. Folks, I'm going to tell you something today. This day I am more determined to live for Jesus than I ever have been in my life. I'm more determined to, to pray, to study, to develop my relationship with Him. I'm more determined to try to get other people right with God. I'm, but I'm going to tell you something else. I'm more determined today to go to heaven than I've ever been in my life. Man, the more I study about heaven, the more I think about the king's place, the more I think about what he has in store for us there, the more I want to go. And, and you know, I used to didn't like this phrase. Uh, that you, you hear this song, and, and this song talked about heaven and going there, you know, and it said, I've never been this homesick before. I just, you know, that phrase homesick is... It's a real phrase, and people use it, but just one I've never liked. But can y'all just allow me to digress for a minute and say, I've never been as homesick for heaven as I am today. You say, well, Pastor, don't you love it here? I love it. Man, I love living here. I love being here. I enjoy the, the blessings of God in this life. I enjoy the people of God. But I want you to know, this boy's looking for heaven, and if it were to come today, it would be okay. Just think about that. You say, you're just trying to get out of here. I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as I can be. You know. And, and Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to step on the next load unless it's the one I'm supposed to be on, all right? I'm going to live as long as God needs me here. I want to be like Paul when he told the Philippian people. He said it's necessary. He said, I'm in a straight between two things. i got a desire to go, but a desire to stay. He said, for me... To go would be beneficial to me. I'd get to see Jesus. 
I'd get to see all my loved ones that's going to... I'd get to see all the beauty that He has. I'd get to see the golden streets. I'd get to hear the angels sing and, and play on those harps of gold. I'd get to see all of these things. He said, but i got a desire to stay also. He said, to go would be a blessing, but for me to live is Christ. To die is gain, but to live is Christ. I want to live here on this earth as long as He needs me here, as long as He wants me here. And then when this thing's over with, I want to go. But if it's today, it would be okay. That's what I'm trying to say. But if it's not today, I'm still going to live for Him. I've got a determination. I've got to, you say, well, preacher, you're already saved. That means you're going to heaven. Oh, listen, I don't want to just go to heaven and have to stand there and think, oh, my, you know, what's he going to read off of that list about me? I want to go to heaven. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be one of those that he, that he takes and says, I've given you this and you've worked with it and you've done everything you should. And now then, come on, and I'm going to make you rule over many things. That's what I'm looking for. Somebody say, I'll just be glad to be there. Just, you know, be like Minnie Pearl, just so proud to be here. Well, we will. We will be proud to be there. But, oh, listen. In, in the book of Revelation, it talks about those elders. It represents the church and how they come at one point before the Lamb and they take their crowns and cast them down at the feet of the Lamb. Let me tell you what those crowns are. Those crowns are the rewards that we get for faithfulness in this life. You, you, there's five crowns mentioned, and there may be more. And, 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 you know, I'd like to have every one of them. Not, and you're not going to wear them through eternity. Let me tell you this. The crown that you earn here on this earth for your service, you're not going to wear it for eternity. Because there's going to come a time whenever we're all going to be gathered around. His throne in heaven, the Lamb, is going to be glorified sitting on that throne. And we're going to bow before Him and throw every one of those crowns at His feet. And we're going to sing just like Ariana did this morning. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. I'm more determined than I've ever been to be in heaven when this thing's over with. Well, what about the lizard? Let's look at it from that. If you look at it in the Amplified Translation, it says, The lizard, you can catch it with your hands. But then it's in king's palaces. You can catch it, throw it out, it'll come back. Catch it, throw it out, it'll come back. What does that mean, preacher? It means the lizard and the spider know what it takes to be there. Determination. I'm going through. I've made Jesus Lord of my life. And I'm not about to sit down. I'm not about to back up. I'm not about to go some other way. I've got my eyes on the prize. I press towards that mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know what it takes? you know what it's going to take to make it? I know as I look out at you this morning, then I, I could probably feel sure that every one of you is right with the Lord, but you know that's something that only you know. I don't. I don't know that. I think good of all of you, regardless. I think even good people when I'm not around you. And I talk about you. I do. I tell people, a lady asked me just this week. She said, Brother Carol, do y'all have a bunch of dissension and people not being able to get along with each other at Charles Church? 
I looked, I studied for a second, looked at it real thoughtfully, and I said, no, ma'am. I said, we've got the best people that go to church, go to Victory Fellowship Church. I believe that. That's how I feel about you, every one of you. The best people that go to church go to Victory Fellowship Church. I said, we're people. Sometimes there's this little thing comes up and that little thing comes up, but I said, I'm going to tell you, I've never saw a group of people that is so willing to work together for things to be good and nice and smooth and move on. And you say, well, Pastor, maybe you're blind. Well, don't pray for my eyes to be open because I want to stay this way, okay? Love covers a multitude of evil. See, it's times you put up with me and times I put up with you. We just put up with each other because we love each other. 